All right, we're getting up about uh, 10.30. And so we thank you for tuning us in. Let me get started. I want to say just a few things briefly, and I hope that uh, today uh, finds all of you warm, dry, safe, and well. Uh, we know why we're, evidently, I've got a poor connection. Uh, you pray about that. I was afraid of that. We live in Troy. Uh, we barely get daylight sometimes here, I think. But I want to say a special hello to our church family. I wish we could have gathered today, certainly. Uh, for the last 30 years, unless I've been hindered by sickness, I've been in church on Sundays, and I know you all have as well. So this is different for us. But we prayed for our president, and God granted our prayers. And certainly I would not want to undermine uh, his leadership. Um, and uh, good to see the Pruitts. Cynthia, good to see you. Uh, so many logging in just now. But uh, I want to encourage you to pray. I have tried to pray. Uh, Brent, good to see you. And um, uh, I've, I've tried to be faithful to pray for all of our members, but especially those with um, with weakened immune systems. I'm going to mention some to you. Be mindful of all of our people, please. But Miss Peggy Box, the Brindles, both Daryl and Pat, Susie James, Robbie Wilder, uh, little Will Wilder is on medication. We want you to pray for him. Dawn Wilburn, uh, my stepdad, Harry Swords, uh, all of our members. We want to continue to pray for our president, our leaders on the national, state, and local levels, all of our medical personnel. Pray for them in these days and our first responders. Pray for our military. Sandy, good to see you. Kristen, um, and uh, pray for pray for our military. We have a military family out of our church that we love dearly. Will, Sierra, and Easton Swords. And um, we love them dearly with all of our hearts. I want you to pray for all of our military. A couple of more things. Um, I saw yesterday posted on Facebook some wonderful singing by the talents. Donald, Denise, and Jamie. And what a blessing that was. And then by uh, Warren and Lindsay Chapman. And so I couldn't help but think about the Jenkins when I saw that. So I want to challenge. We have some wonderful singers in our church. I just mentioned some of them. And the Jenkins ladies are some of the best. As a matter of fact, they have become some of my very favorite in all this world, and they're in our church. And so Misty, Hayden, McKinley, and Kaylee post us something. It'll be a great encouragement to our hearts in these days. And I want to say something else. I want you to be finding Hebrews chapter 4, please. Uh, Lynn, good to see you. Troy and Melissa. Uh, Jeff, good to see you. Uh, but uh, I, I listened to some preaching this morning just a little bit. I want to encourage you. I have many preacher friends across this country preaching uh, over the over Facebook today. Ronald Roberts is preaching in the back of his pickup truck to his people. They've pulled up uh, in their cars, sitting on their tailgates, and such like he's in the back of his Dodge Ram preaching uh, like his head's on fire. Amen. I love Ronald Roberts. Go look at his page. Find that message. It'll be a blessing to you. Richard Kleinert will be on at 11 o'clock. Chris Kitchens has been on. Ronnie Barefield is on. Um, we've got Chris McCord here locally, many other local preachers. And then Brian McCorder, I noticed, out in Texas. And, and so there's a lot of preaching going on. No telling what God is doing these days. I could not help but think of I could not help but think of leading into this morning knowing that I was going to do this on Facebook. I couldn't help but think of the believer's rest. Um 
the believer's rest. Hebrews chapter number four, we won't read the whole chapter, but I do want to at least survey the whole chapter with the emphasis being on the believer's rest. Now, let, let me say something here about the book of Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews chapter six and verse one, you'll find the key phrase to the book in verse number uh, verse number one. I see the Shettles and Williamsons are are watching. Jeff needs this. I'll promise you, if nobody else needs it, Jeff Shettles needs this today. Listen to Hebrews 6, 1. The Bible says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine, listen to this next phrase. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, I love what, I've got my notes here. I preached through the book of Hebrews back in 2004. And um, old notes. Uh, I love what George Goodman said about the book of Hebrews. Uh, he said, this is a letter from a Hebrew Christian to Hebrew Christians. In other words, this is a letter um, from a converted Jew to converted Jews. Why does he tell them in chapter 6 and verse 1, let us go on into perfection? Here's why. The temptation was to go back. Let me tell you why. There were some things had to be overcome. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Brother Tim Horton. And there were some things that had to be overcome. Number one, tradition had to be overcome. They were blinded because of their traditions. You'll never, and I never, we will never amount to anything, uh, beloved, if we are anchored to our past. Now, I'll concede uh, that uh, it's hard to unlearn what you've been taught all your life. And so they've got to overcome that. They've got to overcome the temple. The temple is still standing at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews. Uh, the daily sacrifices were being offered. Those that were going in and out, they were not suffering persecution, but those first century believers, they were. And so they had to overcome the temple. Paul said, let's not go back. Let's go on. And then they had to over overcome their ties, their ties in the community, their ties sometimes even with family. To embrace Christ meant to be forsaken in the community and amongst family many times. They, they had to overcome tempers, right? There was a hostility uh, throughout the land. Good morning, Kevin. And uh, Ron Dupree, good to see you, dear brother. And uh, so a lot of opposition they were facing in those days. Then they had to overcome the trends. There was a prejudice that was very pronounced in the land. And, of course, uh, the Jews despised, despised the Gentiles, and the church is made up both of Jew and Gentile. Now, that being said, listen to chapter 4. I'm not going to read all the chapter at this point, but listen to chapter number 4, and I'm going to try to emphasize each time we come across the word rest. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of that. Brother Tom, I'm very humbled that you've tuned in. Verse number two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, uh, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, 
and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Verse 6 says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, uh, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, uh, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Three more verses. The Bible says in verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I want to speak under three headings. And, of course, we'll make a broad sweep through this chapter. But I'm interested in the admonition uh, given to the believer. I'm interested, secondly, in an explanation of the believer's rest. And then I am interested in an exhortation given to the believer. Now, this word rest, nine times, it's found in these verses that we have read, nine times. It's interesting that three different Greek words are used. Six times, it is a word. It comes from the strong reference, 2663, if you want to look it up in your strongs which means it speaks of a reposing down. That's interesting, isn't it? In other words, an abiding rest. Uh, two times it is. it comes from a word that uh, the Greek word, the reference is, the song's reference means to settle down or to be settled. And then one time in Hebrews 4, in verse number 9, that verse again says, if you give me just a moment, Hebrews 4 and verse 9 there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And we are grateful for that. That word rest comes from 4520 in the Strongs. speaks of a sabbatical. Again, it speaks of a repose. It speaks of an inner quietness. Uh, in other words, an inner quietness doesn't have to answer all its critics. An inner quietness does not have to wring their hands, scratch their head. An inner quietness doesn't have to fret, be anxious, nor worry. And it is because our faith rests in Christ, his finished work upon the cross of Calvary, and then his work in our hearts and lives, his providential works in our lives. I remember reading many years ago how that one preacher used the Great Lakes as an illustration of rest, a deep rest. And he used Lake Superior in particular. He talked about how that the winds can come up on the surface of Lake Superior, and there can be much turmoil, so much so that uh, the uh, the those vessels, those boats and ships uh, that would be on the surface need to make landfall because it is so dangerous and treacherous to be upon the stormy surface of Lake Superior. But he went on the state that if you were to go on, the deeper you go beneath the surface, the more you'll find a calm and abiding peace, and nothing is disturbed uh, beneath the surface. Beloved Paul is speaking of this rest. Now, I want to make mention, if I may, under our first heading, the admonition given to uh, the believer. 
the admonition that's given to the believer. Uh, of course, we know that man added chapter divisions and verse divisions to the Bible. And we know that the second of five warnings in the book of Hebrews began in chapter 3, verse 7, and really is leading into what we find about this rest. Matter of fact, this rest is mentioned in chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, through verse uh, through the last verse of chapter 3, twice there. And so with that being stated, beloved, we don't want to forfeit our rest as a child of God. We rest were Saddam Hussein still in charge and still living in his part of the world, we rest. We rest no matter what goes on in our lives. Beloved, he knoweth what's best. He doeth all things well. Um, and so, uh, but Paul gives an admonition here in verse number one through three. I will only reference uh, verse number one, the phrase, let us therefore fear. Let us therefore fear the admonition given to the believers. He says here to be sober. This word fear uh, could be defined as to put to flight by terrifying. Our English word phobia comes from this word fear. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians 5.33 where the Bible says the wife, uh, see that she reverence, or in other words, fear uh, her husband. Uh, this fear is to combat the danger of departing. Listen to chapter 3 and verse number 12. Paul wrote there, Take heed therefore, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so Paul is telling us to be, to, uh, to be sober in this thing of walking with the Lord and serving the Lord. We should, our walk, as far as our walk is concerned, we should place the highest evaluation on that. We should esteem, our highest estimation should be upon our walk and our faith with him. We ought to have a fear of displeasing our God. Number two, in this admonition giving to the, given to the believer, he says, be sober. He says, let us therefore fear. And then he says, be swift. He writes in verse number 11, let us therefore uh, labor to enter. This word labor is taken uh, from a word which speaks of uh, the use of speed in making a, an effort. Now, this labor is, again, to combat this thing, this danger of departing or this danger of deceitfulness. Chapter 3, verse number 13. Let me read that verse. The Bible says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So uh, with that stated, we're to hurry up. Uh, we're, uh, we're not to put off anything that would hinder us from walking with Christ in these days. There should be an eagerness. Now, the idea of this hastening or this being swift is the same idea that Simon Peter used when he wrote, uh, adding to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. In other words, we're to be busy about um, uh, our walk with Christ. Um, you'll remember that Israel in the Old Testament, uh, you will remember they make it to Kadesh Barnea and the spies go in and they come back and they hesitated. And when they hesitated, it allowed doubt and unbelief to take root. 
and beloved to procrastinate in our walk with the Lord. Um, to procrastinate. Procrastination is delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. And so Paul gives an admonition to the believer. He says, be sober. Number two, he says, be swift. And then number three says, be strong. He writes in verse number 14, let us hold fast our profession. As a matter of fact, this phrase, to hold fast or to hold, is used now for the third time up to this point uh, in the book of Hebrews. Let me read them to you. Hebrews 3, 6 says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. In other words, to hold fast, this expresses a mastery. Uh, this expresses a, a control over what has been afforded us. Um, and then the second time that this phrase is used, of course, to hold fast, you know, it's, um, it, it's to take God at his word. It's to take, you know, so many are looking for lightning flash and thunder to roll. Uh, beloved, we live our faith by putting one foot in front of the other. We get up and daily walk our faith and live our faith. Uh, there are many special chapters in the Bible, uh, uh, chapters with special emphasis, right? The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Perhaps John 14 could be labeled the believe me chapter. Believe me. Uh, Christ says to his disciples, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Again, in essence, he says to them in John 14, believe me. That's what the Lord, that's what the Lord is, is admonishing us to do here through the pen of the apostle. And then here in Hebrews 4 and 14, notice the phrase the third time, Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast. It refers to holding in a continual uh, manner. Uh, it speaks of determination. I think about Joshua and Caleb. Um, thank God they held fast. They got a taste of Canaan and then had to go back to the wilderness and dwell there. And yet they held fast. They stayed true. Uh, they believed God. They took him at his word, beloved. Now, this is what he says under this admonition. He says, be sober. He says, let us therefore fear. He says, be swift, let us labor, therefore, to enter. He says, be strong, let us hold fast our profession. Then he says, be studious, be studious. Now, you can't know about God if you're not reading his word. You can't just pull things out of the air. You can't live off, off how you feel. I don't feel right every day, neither do you, if you'll be honest. He says, be studious. The Bible tells us in uh, Hebrews ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then here in Hebrews 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, um, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, to be to be studious, that's to combat this thing of um, that's to combat this thing of disbelief, or having a hardened heart, or having your uh, your rest disturbed. Now, the word of God is described as quick. Being quick, that means being alive. It is quick. It is alive. I love what the psalmist wrote, don't you? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You read that. You never have read where somebody was reading an American history book and said, Oh, my soul, I need to repent and trust Christ. You've never heard of someone studying calculus and getting under conviction and needing to be born again. Uh, You've never heard somebody reading of science, um, some of the theories of science and getting under conviction, realizing they must be born again. Uh, but now, beloved, there's story after story of where people have picked up the Word of God, the living Word, and the Spirit of God brought them under conviction. They were brought to Christ uh, as a result. The Word of God is quick, he says, and powerful. That means to be effectively active. I think right now of my good friend, Doug Bearden in Carrollton, Georgia. I don't have time to give you all the details of it. Our people has uh, heard the story where Brother Doug was preaching one Sunday morning. And as he was preaching, he noticed a lady on his right and noticed a lady on his left. Uh, the reactions as he preached were totally different. As he dismissed one of the ladies that had called his uh, attention as he preached, met him at the door and was angry and in a huff said, I'll never be back again. I'll never come back to this church again. I'll never listen to you preach again. The other lady, in tears and brokenness, went to her pastor, handed him a handgun, and said, Brother Doug, I had decided because of much despair in my life to end my life, but I felt that I'd come to the house of God one more time, and perhaps God would speak to me. She said, Take this. Call my family. I need help. Will you pray for me? You say, Preacher, the Word of God was powerful in the lady's life that was contemplating suicide. No, beloved, the Word of God was powerful in both of those ladies' lives. The one went out from us because she was not of us. The other, thank God, received help because the Word of God is powerful. Let me move to my second heading. I'll be brief with it, then I'm going to move to my last heading. The admonition given to the believer. He says, be sober. He says, be swift. He says, be strong. He says, be studious. And then there's the explanation of the believer's rest. In verse number four of our text, uh, you'll find that creation rest is mentioned. Verse number four, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day. <laughs> and God did rest the seventh day. Um, from all his works. Creation rest. Um, I don't have to tell you, do I? The Lord did not rest on the seventh day of creation week because he was fatigued or wearied. He rested because the work was complete. It's a picture of what Christ has done for us uh, in the atonement, in the gospel. 
how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested on the seventh day because his work was complete. And then there is conversion rest. Listen to verse 9 of our chapter, Hebrews chapter number 4. Listen to verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. It does not say there remaineth a rest for the pagan, for the heathen, uh, for the unbeliever, for the disbeliever. doesn't say there's a rest there, but the Bible says there remaineth. In other words, there abides. There abides. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. So there is conversion rest. Don't you love Romans 5.1? The Bible says there, uh, in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean? It means the war is over. The war is over. This thing's been settled. When Christ said, it is finished, he meant what he said. He settled the debt. He paid the note. Um, he appeased the Father. Um, he is propitiated. Thank God our sin is gone. Nothing, nothing left for you to do. Nothing left for me to do regarding this matter of salvation. Isaiah says about the wicked, listen to this. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. But for the child of God, there is peace, right? Listen to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, wherein, uh, whose waters are cast up, cast up mire and dust, uh, mire and dirt, excuse me. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There is no peace. You remember what Solomon said to his son in Proverbs chapter 28 in verse number one, he wrote, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. That's why some have no rest. They know not the Lord. Well, there's creation rest that's mentioned. There is the uh, conversion rest that has been afforded to the child of God. There's a celestial rest, though not mentioned in chapter 4. We must mention it, a celestial rest. Uh, I saw, as all of you did, Brother Lee Davis, God just called him home. He's at rest today. He's in the presence of the Lord today. He rests from his earthly labors. You pray for the Davis family. Uh, you pray for Emmanuel Baptist Church in Belmont, all his preacher friends. Uh, Brother Davis was a faithful soldier that finished well, had a good spirit about himself, a celestial rest. Our bodies are tired and weary now, right? Uh, two or three, not many, two or three of my preacher brethren across the southeast We'll message one another. Sometimes I'll receive a message from a dear heart that will say, struggling, pray. Sometimes I send the same message. But over on the other side, uh, over on the other side, uh, when I shall be in the presence of the King of glory, there will be a celestial rest. But now, beloved, in verses 6 through 8, there's a Canaan rest that's mentioned. You can call it a consecration rest. Listen to verses 6 through 8 of our chapter. Seeing therefore it remaineth that uh, some must enter therein, 
And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Uh, Canaan rest. It reminds us of those journeys, right? Those journeyings, uh, those walks of those Israelite people. Um, we think of them in Egypt uh, when they were uh, brought out of Egypt. And then they're in the wilderness as, um, uh, of course, the wilderness is a picture of defeat, doubt. God never intended for his people to go to the wilderness and their entire existence remained there. Uh, but then there's Canaan, entering into Canaan. It's a picture of the life, uh, the life resting in Christ, resting in Christ, a repose, a deep settled peace. Let me give you lastly, verses 14 through 16. I love these verses. In verse number 14, now there's an exhortation given to the believer here. We've talked about the admonition given to the believer, the explanation of the believer's rest. And then there is the exhortation given to the believer. And we're pointed to Christ. Uh, beloved, we're pointed to Christ, to Christ. In verse number 14, we learn that Christ is someone that we can look to because of his priesthood. Uh, he can satisfy us. Not only has he satisfied the Father in divine justice being meted out, but beloved, he satisfies his saints. He satisfies his saints. In verse number 15, Christ is someone that we can go to um, because of his passion. He can sympathize with us. And then in verse number 16, Christ is someone, someone we can talk to. By his permission, beloved, the believer is invited to come and speak to him. Consider this with me. Verse number 14, first of all, that Christ is someone we can look to, beloved your heart because of his priesthood he satisfies us you say where do you find satisfaction do you find it in politics do you find it in the economy do you know i find it in christ in christ listen to verse 14 of hebrews 4 the bible says seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession Verse number 14 tells us we have a great high priest. The hope of the sinner is in this great high priest. The word great means magnificent. So seeing then we have a magnificent high priest, a superior high priest, a preeminent uh, high priest. Let us hold fast our profession. Uh, and the Bible says here that he's passed into the heavens. The idea is that he has passed through the heavens uh, beloved, he passed through the heaven, the first heaven that we see by day, the second heaven that we see by night, uh, the galaxies, the stars, the northern star, the Milky Ways passed through this and passed into the third heaven, into the presence of the Father. That would make a Lutheran want to shout. Christ is someone we can look to, verse 14, because of his priesthood, 
He can satisfy us. Number two, Christ is someone we can go to. Listen to verse 15. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, because of his passion, because of his incarnation, because of his condescension. Uh, Beloved, sometimes we think of how worthy he is and how unworthy we are, right? Certainly we do. And sometimes even though we are saved, it might enter our minds. What right have we to enter into his presence? I think about, I think about brother, uh, brothers and sisters, I think about Christ's humanity just now. I jotted several things back years ago when going through Hebrews just hand wrote, but we see his humanity uh, in that he wept, John 11, in that he felt compassion, Matthew 9, in that he rejoiced, Luke chapter number 10, in that he was tempted, in that he relied on prayer, in that he trusted in God, Matthew 27, in that he hungered, Matthew 4, Matthew 21, in that he wearied and was tired, John 6 and Matthew 8, in that he thirsted, in that he felt loneliness, in that he felt betrayal. Have you ever felt that? In that he was misunderstood. In that he felt rejection. He suffered. His suffering is seen on many levels. He suffered confusion. Uh, Beloved, when beaten about the head, many scholars believe. He suffered lacerations. When he scourged, when he was scourged with the beating of the cat of nine tails, when the hide was peeled off his living body, he suffered penetration when the crown of Platted and pressed down, beaten down into his brow. He suffered perforation when the nails were placed to his hands and then the hammer was taken and beat them through the hands and the feet. He suffered incision as he was cut and lacerated, beloved. He suffered abrasions and being nailed to the cross and being bruised and broken. Ah, you say, preacher, what does that mean? That means if you're hurting today, dear heart, You can rest in the fact that Christ can be touched. I may not understand your sufferings, and you may not understand mine, but I'm glad there's one seated at the right hand of the Father who can be touched. He can be touched. Oh, beloved, he can be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, the frailties of the body, of the mind. He can be touched. Thank God he can be touched. That word to be touched means to be, to make contact with, to feel for, to suffer with. Let's say glory for such a great high priest, a high priest that is great. Verse number 16, with this I'm done. Verse 16 and verse 14, Christ is someone we can look to because of his priesthood. He satisfies us. Verse number 15, because uh, Christ is someone we can go to, and because of that, because of his passion, he can sympathize with us. But then in verse 16, Christ is someone that we can talk to. By his permission, the believers invited to come and speak to him. Ah, listen to verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly. Um, let us come boldly. It means to come confidently. 
We have an invitation today to the throne of the Lord through prayer. I couldn't gain an audience with the president today, nor with the queen of England, but with the king of glory. I have been invited to come, and I come often. I do come often. I saw Brother Tom Hayes log on here. My mind goes back just now. He may not remember this. I'll never forget it. It was 1996. Um, there were four of us left from Itawamba County and came out to uh, Cold Spring, Texas, Brother Tom, Brother Ronnie Bearfield, Brother Larry Winkler. A number of preachers were preaching in the annual camp meeting for Brother Archie Jackson. Brother Archie's with the Lord, been with the Lord a lot of years. Brother Kenneth Jackson now pastors the church, his son, and moderates the camp meeting. But uh, there were four of us went out, two preachers out of the church, myself and my son. He was born in 93. He's always been a little fellow. <laughs> He's born in 93. Uh, so this was in 96, July of 1996. Uh, he was hugged up against my leg. Brother Tom was trying to make conversation with him. And finally, he said, hey, he said, um, he said, what's a boy like you doing at a meeting like this in the state of Texas? And I'm telling you with great assurance, he looked up into my face and pointed his finger and looked back at Brother Tom. And he said, that's my daddy. He was saying my right of being here is because of who my father is. And beloved, you have a right to this rest. You have a right to the throne of grace today, child of God. I'm talking about the believer's rest. Take cheer today, child of God. The devil's not running this outfit. No. No. As a matter of fact, he's a barking dog on a, on a leash. He's on a chain. He's on a rope. He can't go any farther. He can't go any farther than God allows him to go. He's not. The devil's not taking this, not running the show. But Christ reigneth. Christ reigneth over all. Well, I left a lot out, and um, that's not unusual for me. But thank you for tuning in. This thing is new to me. I've done radio since first time I did it was in 1992. Uh, Brother E.L. Crumpton, I'd been surrendered to preach just a few weeks. He called me at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning said, be here at 8.15. You're doing the radio today. I didn't know what it, how to do that. And then I started doing radio in 1995 on a regular basis, but I've never done this, a video Facebook thing, um, until Friday. And um, so I think we'll do a little bit more of this along the way. Pray for me. Uh, I'm having to put up with Amanda these days. She's hard to deal with. As a matter of fact, she has told me she's not going to, if I'm not going to get out and make her a living, uh, she ain't even going to let me use my razor until all this is over with. And uh, I love all of you, especially our church family. I love you. <laughs> I miss you. I miss seeing your faces this morning. But I sure love you and thank God for you. And I'm praying for you. If I can be of help, you let us know. Trust all of you. Have a great day. It's a lot of great preaching. No telling what God's going to do through all of this. A lot of great preaching today. Um, you go look up some of these men that are preaching the Word of God. They're scattered all over the country, all over the world. God bless you.
God bless you. Love you. You take care of yourself. Let us hear from you. Please shoot us a text. Let us hear from you.